Hey Trailheads, it's JD and I've got a quick pit stop for you. We're all about building a community here at the Trailhead and we want to hear from you. Got questions about the latest gear, a burning topic you want us to dive into, or maybe you've got some killer trail recommendations. We're all ears. Getting in touch with us is a breeze. You can DM us on Instagram or Facebook at the Trailhead Podcast, drop us an email, or even give us a call. Plus, don't forget to check out our website, thetrailheadnetwork.com, for all the latest episodes and more. So, you want to be part of the conversation? Reach out to us at 719-408-0132 or hit us up online. Your voice could shape our next episode and even be on our next episode. Now, let's get back to the off-road action. Welcome to the Trailhead, where trails start and stories unfold. Welcome to the show, everyone. Now here's JD. Welcome back, kids. Buckle up in your rigs, because today's ride is hitting some serious terrain. You're tuned in to part two of the powwow with Ben Burr from the Blue Ribbon Coalition. And we're not just spinning tires, we're digging into the dirt of off-roading rights and the wild pass we're fighting to keep open. Now, if you caught our last talk, you know we don't shy away from the tough stuff. We're peeling back the map on the 30 by 30 agenda. Will it keep our favorite trails on the grid or leave us searching for new waypoints? We're tackling the tracks of noise issues, cleanup ethics, and where we stand on the lands under a magnifying glass. But let's face it, off-roading is not just about the mud on our tires, it's about the mark we leave behind. Then we're steering into the future with chats about land ownership. Are we about to see more no trespassing signs than trail markers? And hold on to your hats because we've got some thoughts on new science like genetic engineering and how it might just rewrite the rule book for our backcountry stomping grounds. So gear up and air down. Welcome to the trailhead. Yeah, it really is. I mean, like nothing makes this more clear with the Moab plan and you still see all those same narratives come out as we will put things out on social media and say, Hey, this was a bad plan and it's a problem. And most people are fired up. I'm like, yeah, this, you get, we need to fight this. This isn't, this is terrible. But then you have a bunch of people like, oh, we deserved this. Oh, I had a couple, I had a long discussion with somebody and, today who is the head of a very large following of a biking, uh, um, excuse me, a uh, physical bike. I'm, I'm losing bicycle, yeah. just a regular motor, uh, regular mountain bike. Mountain he bike, was, yeah. all, you guys deserve this. Did we? And I don't see any evidence of it. I spent no. weeks out in this area looking at all these trails. And it is true that there are parts of Moab where you'll see a heavy concentration of users, probably around Hell's Revenge or Fins and things or something like that. And then people see that and they're like, oh, that must be what it's like everywhere. Right. But you go out into Labyrinth Rims. I went out there with one of my staff members who hadn't been there before two weeks ago. And I'm like, I want you to count all the side by sides. Let's see how many we see today. Yeah. And it just turned into a joke. Like I was like, we were out there um, creating some content and looking, inventorying some of these sites. And I'd be like, shh. You hear that? He like, he's like, what? Like, do you hear the side by side? He's like, 
is there really something? I'm like, no, I'm messing with you. There is no right. side by sides out there. <laughs> I spent weeks out there, and I have I can I distinctly remember because I was paying attention to this. I fewer than five that mm-hmm. I ran into the whole time I was out. This area is so vast. It's not that they're not there. You just don't mm-hmm. see them. People are really spread out in this area, and that's one of its virtues. And so to say there's noise impacts out there, it's a hundred percent lie. There right. is not. And even if there is, it's temporary noises spread out over space and time. And if you were to just analyze how much noise impact is happening through both of those dimensions, it's statistically unmeasurable. Yeah. And you then you say, Oh, well, people are trashing the place. I'm like, I found one thing that I'd consider to be trash, and it was like one of those batteries, like a lithium battery connected to a disco ball-y strobe light thing. <laughs> Something that had been <laughs> lost in a drunken situation. And so somebody was out there having like baby Burning Man or something. I don't know. And <laughs> that was it. Like there isn't a lot of trash out in this area. And yeah. I and there are some impacts. I, I don't ever disagree that there are not some impacts. I just think they're over-exaggerated. I think there's a lot of people we've we need that narrative to be true that the place is getting trashed. The government needs it to be true to justify closing it. Well, um, it's an easy argument, of, right? It's an it's an easy thing yeah. to just point at that person and say, it's not my problem because it's the side-by-side's fault. Or it's not my problem because it's the single-track guy's fault. And it's not. There's, there's no actual evidence to it's, support it. The, and, and this area has heavy use, okay? More than most that I've been. But there was barriers and fencing and like stakes in the ground with wiring going through to like designate the routes and painted routes on the ground and signs. And mm-hmm. most of that, the actual management, like to just manage the impact was working. And they've spent a lot of time and money and grant money and volunteer money and hours. And a lot of that is now going to waste. And so I've like talked to the grant administrators of the Utah's OHV program. They're upset. Because they feel like they've given grants to this BLM field office to do the work out there to manage these impacts. And now they're still saying, oh, too much impact. We're closing it with no evidence of that impact. And so I'm like, you know what? Uh, My wife's family has a cabin in Fish Lake, Utah. And they have a cabin on there. And it's on a 99-year lease just to give them certainty that that, they can use that cabin. Right. And I'm like, if you were going to give grant money to federal agencies... It better come with the guarantee that that infrastructure and those amenities will be usable for at least 99 years or whatever we want to put in there. And so for us to keep pouring money into grant programs at state levels or tread lightly or any of the other smaller groups, if that's not coming with contractual guarantees that what they're doing will result in 100% open, then we really need to rethink that strategy. If they're just going to pull the rug out from us the second they get the most radical people running the Department of Interior for four years, then that so that's like a legislative change I think needs to happen at state and federal levels is that these grant money, like when that grant money gets spent, it's permanent. And and if that agency doesn't want that to be permanent, then they shouldn't accept the money. And then they should stop whining about their budget shortfalls. Yeah. Because if the public's showing up with resources to help manage and mitigate these impacts then the agency should meet us not just halfway, but all the way in making sure that that gets stayed open and that that management works. And it was working in this area. And that's another thing that's just so insulting about this plan is so many of us were out there trying to improve and mitigate and reduce those impacts. And it was working and people were doing a good job. And the radical politics still came in and overrode all of that. And they still shut it. 
down. Yeah. And so as a community, we need to just be thinking through how do we make that a stronger part of what we're doing? Because we're really good at that, this volunteerism stuff. Yeah. And, but it needs to translate into permanent results, not just temporary goodwill. Yeah. Yeah, I I would I I love the trail advocacy that we do and I love all of the the repair work that we all work on and we post on social media about every year. But as I like I was telling Patrick, I it just doesn't feel like it's gotten us the amount of ground that we thought it would in the long run. You know, let's let's do all this trail advocacy and it will outweigh those conversations and those narratives that people are trying to spin. Yeah, they just, but there's just too many people out there that want that narrative to be true. And then let's say it is. Let's say we are trashing the place. Have you ever driven down a freeway going into Vegas or somewhere? Yeah. Like, do you ever hear somebody say, oh, geez, we need to shut this freeway down? Look at all the people (laughs) throwing garbage out the window. Or we should just make public benefits. Right. This public benefit should no longer be available to the public because some idiot threw garbage out the window. Game over for this. It's like, no, we like. Shut down the freeways right now. Yeah, like, or people are speeding. These irresponsible speeders on the freeway. But you never hear anybody say, well, let's just not have freeways then. That'll right. solve the speeding problem. And it's like, nope. <laughs> you get cops out the there. You enforce. Bikers. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and we get prison convict gangs to go out and clean up the garbage on the freeway. Like, there are solutions to all these minor problems. Yeah. And closure isn't, a, isn't even remotely reasonable as a solution to any of this. There is no impact out there that's so egregious that a permanent closure of a two-track dirt road is necessary. It It's just like the, because if you get into like the ecosystem stuff, like the wildlife and the plants and the soil and all that stuff, it doesn't matter. It's right. less than a percent. And that's Sua's calculations. I got that out of their appeal to the San Rafael Desert. They calculated up the acreage of the routes and they said, well, a route is 10 feet wide and the, and the disturbance corridor is 30 feet from the middle line. Yep. And if you turn that into a two-dimensional plane across the landscape, that's 8,000 acres of disturbance. And I'm like, okay, well, first of all, that 30-foot disturbance corridor isn't being disturbed. And so you're over-exaggerating the impact, <laughs> but let's give you all of it. Let's say you are impacting the whole 8,000 acres out of 300,000 acres, not even 1%. And they say, well, that's just too much. It's blanketed in routes. I'm like, so less than 1% is blanketed in so many routes that this is like, why are we letting them get away with that argument? It doesn't make any sense. And then you have people still come out and agree with them and be like, yeah, we're disturbing that soil crust. I'm like, nope, we're not. We're disturbing like less than a... We can't, you can't even, it's like really not even statistically measurable how hard. much of the soil on, grows. Ben. And then they say, oh, but it'll take a hundred years for that to grow back. I have a, a picture on my phone of a sign that they put up after the 2008 resource management plan. And there's like full grown, healthy biocrust right below it. Yeah. It took 10 years to grow back the biocrust. So they, they succeed off of just absolute lies and false narratives. And we need to stop legitimizing that in every possible way that we can. Ahead, they Bob. take advantage of the fact that we don't know. But we do know. I have like photographic <laughs> evidence of this. Exactly. I think it's easier now, and, right? Like for all of us, we all have camera phones. It's a lot easier for us now. And, and now it's with the communities that we've started to build. I think it's easier for us to kind of say, hey, look, I actually, you know what? Those nine, what is it? 9,000 photos they say they took and tagged on the ground of selectively edited photos. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So, Ben, if... 
so Moab's a big deal. Uh, if there was mm-hmm. something else that you wanted to talk about today, we could talk about the 30 by 30 stuff. We could talk about a specific issue, uh, the bear's ear stuff, anything that you wanted to talk about in particular? Um, yeah. So the 30 by 30 agenda, people need to get very aware of what that is and because they don't have like the legislative statutory mandate to enact this. It's just an executive order that basically said this marketing campaign that environmental groups came up with is now the policy of the nation. And so pretty extra constitutional, if you ask me, but they're still (laughs) acting as if it's like the law of the land. They don't have any, I mean, if Congress had passed something and said, yeah, 30 by 30, that's it, let's do it. Then they would be off to the races. But since they don't, they have to find all these hidden pernicious ways to enact it. And so they are. They're doing it through plans like Bears Ears, plans like Wyoming, plans like Moab. Um, I did a comment on the Chumash Heritage Marine Sanctuary, which is the basically the ocean off of the coast of Oceano Dunes and Pismo mm-hmm. Beach. But the boundary of the sanctuary goes halfway up the high water mark of the beach. And so this sanctuary will affect Oceano Dunes and Pismo Beach. And And I talked to a New York Times reporter for an hour about this. And then she didn't even put a single line of my interview in her story. It was just this big, like, oh, this will be such a great thing and it'll protect the marine life. And she's like, but in that conversation, she's like, well, why are you worried about this? I'm like, well, let me read you what the regulation says. It says, we will be restricting the operation of vessels. I'm like, what? And they define vessels. It's kayaks, boats, motorboats, ships. Like, they're going to be regulating everything. She's like, well, this isn't going to impact recreation. I'm like, what do you think it what do you think they mean when they say they're going to restrict the operation of vessels? That's a very, very broad regulatory authority they're giving themselves. And you don't think for two seconds this should be scrutinized. Right. And they're gonna regulate aviation and aircraft because apparently the National Oceanic Atmospheric Association regulates airspace. I thought that was the FAA, but they're gonna do it now. And um, this Lake Powell stuff is very intriguing. I mean, there's they the 30 by 30 isn't just land. It's also water. And so they want to control the water. Um, and if you live in the West, that the situation there could get precarious really fast if we're not managing that well. Um, so 30 by 30 is something we're paying a lot of attention to. Um, I, I commented on my first Securities and Exchange Commission regulatory proposed rule last week. Ooh, <laughs> um, fancy. Because. Because they're proposing to create something called a natural asset company. This is being pushed by the Rockefellers and the New York Stock Exchange. And they're looking at a thing called ecosystem services and saying this hasn't been turned into a market yet. And if we look at just the market capitalization of carbon tax credits and things like that, Mm -hmm. that's a $5 trillion market. And we think the market for ecosystem services and securitizing that is orders of magnitude larger than this $5 trillion carbon market. And so we're going to create these companies to tap into that industry. right? And so what are, what are these trillions of dollars going to come do to monetize and create economic value out of ecosystem services? And so if you looked at what was going on with this BLM conservation rule that we were firing everybody up over the summer, mm-hmm. this was a rule proposed by the Bureau of Land Management where they want to sell conservation leases on yeah. public land, and they looked into FLIPMA, the land pa- the law passed in 1976, and and hidden there in plain sight for over 50 years has been some authority for them to sell a conservation easement. <laughs> They've just never exercised it until now. Uh, 
I don't think that withstands Supreme Court scrutiny at this point. With this current court, there's no way this BLM rule goes anywhere, but they're wanting to sell our public land to Wall Street. And do you think you're going to be the beneficiary of that? They're trying to sell (laughs) public land to private entities. Yeah. And so, like, everybody always is like, like, no one's been better than SUA at demonizing the the exercise, the 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 possibility that public land's going to be privatized in some way, and it is all the time. I mean, a grazing lease is essentially a form of privatization of public land. So is an oil and gas or a mining lease, um, and all those are secured with rights. And it's called split estate ownership of a land. You don't own the surface title to the land, but you own some interest in it. Right. And they're trying to create a new layer of that that's going to bring in trillions of dollars of of BlackRock money or who knows where it's going to come from. So that it can then codify through contracts with an agency what the conservation priorities of that parcel are so they can monetize the ecosystem services of that. With that vague like, language so they can get away with whatever it is that they want to get away with. Yeah. And, yeah. So, people, it, and so people sometimes will like point to BRC and just be like, especially like around Lake Powell, be like, oh, so we should just listen to the recreation users about water use in the West. And I'm like, well... Sure. I, I live in the Colorado <laughs> River Basin, and I care about that water system and hydrological system being functional, too, because I want water to come out of my sink when right, I turn it on. It. But but having a recreational uh, accessible lake in Lake Powell is better for everyone else who uses that lake, except for the small group of radical environmental groups that want to drain it and just turn it back into a river again. And they are draining reservoirs and dismantling dams up in up near Washington or Oregon. Um, and so we're getting rid of our infrastructure. We're selling out our ecosystem services to Wall Street. Like there's a lot of big things going on. Maybe outdoor recreation is not the right vehicle, but, but I look at this, I, when I worked in Congress, I'm like, how come there isn't a better counterweight to some of these really big things that are going on at a national and global level? And I, I went and did consulting work for the ranchers. They, it was post-Bundy. Like the, This is a group that's being targeted. Can they be mobilized? And when I went and connected with a lot of ranchers and started helping them manage conflicts with the agencies, most ranchers are seventh generation and their kids don't want to do it. Four and five don't have a succession plan of what's going to happen to their operation once they die. And so public land ranching and this sort of that ethos of the West, I don't think that survives another generation. And what will happen is those permits will get eaten up by a bunch of either big interests and it'll monopolize or conservation groups will come in and turn their grazing lease into a conservation lease and just, and it'll shift. And so I was like, well, where is there a constituency big enough? And the public land system does go through cycles. Okay. I mean, it started off with the founding fathers and then you get to like the Jackson era with the homesteading and stuff. And then post Civil War, kind of the or once you get to the about Teddy Roosevelt, you get the administrative state um, where we create the Forest Service and the BLM and all these things. And then eventually you get to the sixties, and it turns into like the wilderness movement. Become and so these are the different centers of gravity of our public land system. And we've been in the moment where the wilderness movement and locking it all up and just kind of trying to restrict access and what was sort of a free for all public entry form of management where people come state claims of any kind and utilize the public domain for private gain or whatever. I mean, that turned into, no, we're going to turn it into these big preserves and shapes on maps that they work a different, once you go into this shape, it works this way and this shape, it works this way. And that's been kind of the legacy of the wilderness movement. 
all of these eras last about 50 to 70 years. And we're getting to the end of what the wilderness movement is. And they, it doesn't feel like it because they're very, very powerful right now. They are the center of gravity. But these things kind of shift with generational changes. And you, and you can see what's coming on the horizon. Outdoor recreation is bigger than oil and gas in the United States and America right now by a few $10 billion. Uh, they're both about $800 billion in size, their economic impact. Outdoor recreation has no statutory rights or protections to be accessing and utilizing public land. We are there from basically because the managers give us permission. And when we go to court at BRC, we're usually arguing about processes, not about rights. Right. And that's our biggest mistake we've made is that we've mobilized and concentrated our political power to go get grant money mm. instead of getting us instead of getting the right to be there. Right. So maybe it's time to wake up and start fighting for that. Go ahead, and Jason. Codifying a right to be on public land. And and because we need to to secure an eight hundred billion dollar, nearly trillion dollar industry. Right. It's providing the livelihoods for most small communities in the West right now. And so I think the center of gravity shifts to outdoor recreation. That's why eventually I'm like the Blue Ribbon Coalition makes sense as an organization. It's gone through periods of strength and weakness. But I, I was thinking of starting my own thing. And then I learned about the importance of the legal standing on these things. And I've you asked in the show notes ahead of this of how did Blue Ribbon Coalition came about. I was actually researching that because I was reading the obituary of Clark Collins, who was our founder. And he started Blue Ribbon Coalition because they had closed motorcycle access in an area called Massacre Rocks in Idaho. Oh. And it's where he liked to go ride. He was from Pocatello. So that's what that's what motivated him to start this organization. <laughs> well, this year, they closed the rest of that area completely to motorized access. And they closed 500 out of 700 rock climbing routes. Rock climbing, meaning the kind you do with ropes in your hands and your feet. Not, but the, it, but the, the, all of those areas are just being protected for people on foot, Ben. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. So I, so the rock climbers came to me like, we don't know how to fight this. The Access Fund, which is their big group, wasn't willing to help them because there were tribal reasons for that. It was part of a cultural resource protection is why they did it. And so we came in as part of this process and said, look, Help. We will come and be a consulting partner on the cultural resources. Help us understand where they are, and we'll identify the management solutions where you could um, barrier those off, or we could have education, or we could close certain routes to deter people from where the cultural resources are. And they're like, no, the act of somebody bolting a rock and climbing up it is offensive to the religion of these tribal, uh, the Shoshone Bannock tribe. And so because this is I, this is controversial to their religion. We're just going to close it because that's what they want. Right. And I was like, well, that's a First Amendment problem or for like an Establishment Clause problem. The government can't go and establish preference for a religious belief system. Right. And you don't have any statutes that give you the authority to do that. You can't prevent the Native Americans from coming there and practicing their traditional beliefs. But they, there's no rules that say you have to give them exclusive access to that land and remove the other public land users. And so we're challenging that decision right now. And that goes clear back to our founding. I mean, that is why Clark Collins started this. We started that in 2011. If I came into this in 2023 and said, well, this is offensive. We need to fight this now. I would make it one step into the legal process. And then they'd kick me out and say, well, you don't have standing for this. Right. And 
you were here in 2011 to comment on the scoping plan. So you're not welcome here. Right. And so I was like, we need to build up this organization that does have the 30, 40 years of legal standing and turn it into the juggernaut it needs to be because the whole pendulum is going to shift in the direction of outdoor recreation and probably alternative energy. Those will become the centers of gravity on the public land system for, throughout our lifetimes. I'm assuming everybody's age from looking at you on the thing. But 20, 30 years, that's going to be what this becomes about. And it's not that like the wilderness movement like dies a sudden death. It will be there influencing it, but it won't be the center of gravity anymore. And you can see all of those tensions right now. That's We're shutting down rock climbing routes. And then the yeah. rock climbers who were generally sympathetic to wilderness, that mindset are now feeling like they got stabbed in the back. Uh, this The Moab plan, if you want to like measure on a scale who got hurt the most, number one is like the overlanding dispersed camping community. Yep. And if you go out there on any given weekend and count the vehicles, half of them are Subarus with Protect Wild Utah stickers in the window. Right. And so they're hurting their own members. And that's, that does you don't do that forever and it doesn't catch up to you. The access fund, not protecting rock climbing routes. Like if, if, if somebody, if they closed 80% of Moab and me at BRC is like, we're just going to live with this. I wouldn't have a job. Everybody yeah. would leave. They'd cancel their memberships and rightfully so. Like I'm, and so I'm going to, my mission is to go fight for that when that happens. Cause there's no way that they did that and did it right. Um, if they're cutting off that much access to public land, they had to have abused the process at some point. And yeah. So you see the you see that fissure and that rift happening. If you start looking for it, you'll see it. If you read Sua's vision for outdoor recreation, and you you don't even have to read the words, just look at the pictures. It's a mom hiking with her kid. It's a tent out on a rock. It's a mountain bike. Like that, there's not a side by side in the whole book of their whole study that they did on what recreation needs to be managed for. Yeah, and so the dispersed camping community just got hosed by this plan. But everyone thinks, well, this was to regulate and stick it to those side by sides. I'm like, nope. It was the dispersed campers or who got hurt the most. Yeah. And then number two is probably the state of Utah because they got they closed a bunch of their RS two four seven seven roads they have legal jurisdiction over. Number three is probably the dirt bikers because they don't have a lot of really good single track in Utah to begin with, and they closed the dead cow loop and the tubes like some of their best most world class trails. And when I wrote my op ed about this in the Salt Lake Tribune. We're fighting in Utah about building a gondola or a tram or something to get up Little Cottonwood Canyon to go to Snowbird and Alta. And I'm like, okay, yeah. we can fight about buses and trams and all that stuff. At least at least we're actually fighting about solutions. At least we didn't start look at this and say, you know what would fix this problem is let's cut thirty percent of the routes. Let's just <laughs> no more ski routes and let's remove thirty percent of the lifts. And yeah, then there won't no more, be as no much no demand. No more lifts, for, no more gondolas. Right. Yeah, we won't then we don't need like no, if you were to suggest that as an alternative to the whatever they're whoever the ski route traffic planners are, say let's just close the ski resorts down. Let's just not have ski right. resorts. That'll fix the problem. But that's what they did in Moab. It's idiotic. Like, and that's yeah, why the state's idiotic. fighting back. And so then you keep going through this plan of who got hurt the most. And I probably put number three or four is like the e-bikers because <laughs> they're like. They gave them a half mile of trail. Yeah. Like, why even bother? Yeah, because they're just trying to check off a box. It, but that's not, even, that's not even like a real box. It's like a half a box. <laughs> and and well, then I would crazy. say it's... Oh, yeah, sorry. go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say like the whole skiing thing. I live in Northern Salt Lake. So our no- I, we live in the Salt Lake area. So I totally understand that because it's like, they're all complaining about what we're doing. But if you shut down all those ski resorts, they're not going to go back to nature. You shut down Sand Hollow Mountain and it's going to turn into Sand Hollow Mountain again. And it's just going to be like, you're not going to see it in like three weeks because the wind's going to blow the sand over the top of it. And you're never going to see another tire track again. It's like the difference between what we do and what they're okay with being like a ski resort. I mean, every single one of my mountain ranges <laughs> above my house is a ski resort. Yeah. And it's insane mm-hmm. to think that because we go and we enjoy these lands and have these areas and it protects them from turning into something that's like that too, because we can go enjoy them and leave and leave it as good as we found it. Right. Yeah. And you're right. And that's, and the Northern Utahns would never settle for, closing their ski resorts as a result for, and there's way more overuse happening in those canyons than ever happens in these remote areas in Moab. Oh, absolutely. What I'm trying and to say is- canyons are watershed. Yeah. For And so this is like one of those funny ones where, you know, the you're cutting off some way more than you necessarily need to. Yeah. And so it's going to add one other group that's getting hurt. So I, when I go out into these areas and I see people, I go and talk to them. I want to let them know what's going on and, Rarely do I find somebody that knows what's going on. So they're always happy to meet me and learn about this. And they and I have yet to find somebody that at the end isn't like wanting to become a member of BRC because we go to these campsites. We're like, you know, they're going to close us. They're like, what? I've been coming here for years. This is where I want to get married. This is like, these are really meaningful places to people. And the last time I was out there, we were out at that campsite that overlooks Mineral Bottom There's and they're closing it. And it's one of the best campsites probably in the whole Moab area. And we had this, we were there talking to the people who were camping there already. And then this couple comes down and they're like, oh, we're not wanting to come here and camp. Don't worry. We're, we're like, you guys are here already. And we have a, they were in a big box truck. It wasn't four wheel drive. It's like a moving truck. Oh, wow. And, like, and we don't, we don't think we'll get our truck down here anyway. So we're going to camp up top, but we just wanted to check in if tomorrow morning, um, we're, we, they said they introduced themselves as free flyers. And so what do you guys think free flyers would be? I'm going to guess some sort of a free jump into the canyon with or without a parachute. Okay. It's a good guess. And by the way, the base jumpers reached out to us and are doing a fundraiser. Like they are supporting what we're doing because they've lost access. And again, if you're looking for those like fissures of where the recreation community is realizing this wilderness movement is not their friend and they're coalescing around BRC, I think in 10 years, you'll look at BRC and the, where everybody thinks we're a motorized thing now in 10 years, yeah. they are the fighters for all forms of recreation, but free flyers are not wingsuit jumpers. That's what I would have thought they were. Oh, uh, yeah. They have pet parrots. They're macaws, like these big giant parrots. And they come and stand on the edge of the cliff and let the parrots fly off and just fly down the canyons. And the parrots apparently really love it. And they had come up from Florida 36 hour drive and they come spend three weeks in Utah as their vacation every year to go to these cliff edges and fly parrots around. And <laughs> that's amazing. Oh my God. I was just and, ready to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so I'm like intrigued by this. I'm like, well, what about, have you ever run into like hawks or peregrine falcons? And I'm like, how do you keep them safe from all the things out here that don't know what a macaw parrot of is? <laughs> yeah, and they're like they they had answers to all of it, and you can go look them up on YouTube. They're they're out green, there. Right? They're green, blue, and red. They're just 
the really colorful parrots that you kind of <laughs> think you're the, what you have as a pirate on your shoulder kind of a parrot. Yeah. Um, and there's probably green ones too. And they, uh, the ones I saw were like red and blue, but, but that seems so I, incredibly niche, right? Like, but those, yeah, we're, those are, we so, are all in that same fight. And they, when we told them what was going on, they couldn't believe it because this, they've like built their whole life around this. This is like their vacation and their pet, their parents are basically their kids. And, and that's what I kind of love about this area is everybody's found their own reason to be there. And mm-hmm. even a 1200 page BLM analysis of every route doesn't even scratch the surface of like, of what actually people are actually using what's these roads really for. happening there. Like yeah. the human value that's coming out of it and the dignity that's in all that. I, and, and they assume that there's, and that's why I get like so annoyed by this, like, well, that user's trashing the place and we don't deserve it. I'm like, I'll tolerate that because this couple that comes up here from Florida, this is such a meaningful thing for them. Right. That if it means I have to let a side by side ride around and kick up some dirt right here, I'll live with that impact because this is so valuable to this other group. And what that person's doing the side by side is probably also really valuable to them. Right. And like I met a, a a gentleman once who his son has a disability that I don't know what it is, but a really, really difficult one. Um, he just like mental disability. He is hard. He doesn't have control of his emotions. He's like, you get him in a side by side and it is just pure joy for like four hours. Wow. So who am I to like go and say that that kid shouldn't go have access to some of this stuff that I've seen. Right. It, especially as it's not hurting anything. Yeah. And there's so much good and value coming out of it. And and even the worst actors, if they are hurting anything, I'll live with it. And I'll I, help uh, offset and mitigate the impact. And that, so I'm kind of more like Wordsworth on this. I like the American. I actually want there to be everybody out there enjoying it. I'm fighting for everybody. And I, we see these people come out and be like, well, this we don't want to see the side-by-sides when we're on the raft. And I'm like, the difference between me and you is I actually want you to be here too. Right. I'd fight for you just as hard. And I have been, I've been fighting for the rock climbers and I'll fight for the free flyers and I'm, I'll fight for the base jumpers and I'll fight for any of those groups. But and Toyota drivers, even the Toyota drivers. And I saw a couple camping out there in a minivan. Yeah. And they made it on one of these routes with their minivan. Good. They'd been coming there for years and their minivan made it happen. They're minivan lifers and Good. They should be able to go there the rest of their life. They're not hurting anything. I like. I go back to uh, a while back what you're talking about, and uh, it just sticks with me. It, it's it's all right. It's plain and simple. It's all right. And if we don't stand up for it, it's going to be taken. It's all right. We got to help. We got to assist. We got to we got to find a way where we can make a difference and help you guys out to fight for us. Yeah, and I am working on that. <clears throat> I do think that the so I. I probably shouldn't give away too many details yet, but we'll have a piece of legislation introduced hopefully sometime 2024 that codifies a right of recreation access. Yeah. And, I would keep that, keep that stuff close to the chest until it's ready to go. But We care about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I am thinking of very hard about that. I'm dead serious about it. It's why our legal standing is not nearly as good as like the environmental. The reason we're in that, where I define our moment that we're in the center of gravity is the wilderness moment. Is because they passed a bunch of laws in the 60s, the NEPA, the Wilderness Act, the mm-hmm. Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the Endangered <clears throat> Species Act. And those are the, the, the engines of that. They're all going to they're all becoming a little bit obsolete. They're not quite like take the Endangered Species Act, for example. I mean, 
Sua will go out and find a cactus. Say, this cactus only grows here. And I've seen him do this. And they're like, well, to protect this cactus, we need to ban mountain biking from this area. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do on my mountain bike is run over a cactus. I I, I try to avoid them like the plague that they are for my yeah, mountain bike exactly. tires. And those cactuses or the cacti or whatever they are, they do not need a, a bunch of lawyers in Salt Lake to protect them from mountain bikers. They will do a pretty good job of that themselves. And, but they'll find some species and it's a, and it's just an argument of convenience because it grows in this state, in this area that they want to shut down. All of a sudden it's like, this is the most precious thing on the planet, this little right. cactus. And it's it like, serves their argument. And so the Endangered Species Act becomes this very situational tool for them to enact an agenda. And they are using that to do the 30 by 30 agenda as well. But it doesn't make any sense. We have like people engineering new species in their garage right now. And like we are so good at genetic engineering right now, we can literally code DNA as humans. And so we are either going to engineer ourselves into an apocalypse or we're going to figure out how to harness and use that power. And we'll, we'll create so much biodiversity on this planet. I mean, imagine what the internet was like in the 1990s compared to now. I remember. Yeah, you do. That's where we are with genetic engineering right now. Yeah. What if it explodes? Like what happened with information technology on screens? What if that what if that same explosion happens in the basic molecules of life? The Endangered mm-hmm. Species Act doesn't matter. We need an Engineered Species Act. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And because if you're a science fiction person that's been reading that kind of stuff for any period of your life, you know that that is a large part of science fiction is how you un, how you keep that whole thing tangled. And, but what is biodiversity? It's really just different expressions of DNA. And if we can rewrite that like software code, there's no limitation to biodiversity on the planet anymore. There's no scarcity of it. Humans, we, if anything, it'll become too abundant. And the whole endangered species. So then what's the baseline? What, like for the Endangered Species Act, at what point it, like, do we have the right number of species on this planet? We don't even know how many there are. And, so we don't know what the right number is. We just know there's a few that we really like or convenient for a political argument. So we use this legal tool to do it. But breaking it down to just the basics of is biodiversity scarcity an actual problem? At this moment in time, it is not. It, like Biodiversity is going to be abundant and that is going to come with it, it, its own problem. And it so the, be like that's AI, what I mean. Like it this, will explode. And, yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying that's going to be utopia. It could be a terrible thing. We don't know what will come out of it, but whether or not this cactus lives or dies is going to be the least of our problems if we don't get even some of that question right. Yeah. But we're putting all our energy and time and money and lawsuits and lawyers and uh, into this, a 1960s problem. Yeah. That's my point. It's like this 1960s codified wilderness movement doesn't stand the test of time. It was a response in a moment in time to actual problems. And I think and if it you doesn't... asked a lot of people like myself who are, who who fancy themselves in the center of things, we we would agree with those kinds of things, even if it's not the current political environment to expound those ideas. Where, yeah, we thought about those things were the greatest things when we were kids, and they were probably really important that we made sure that we weren't completely destroying our planet, that we could breathe our air in L.A. or like Denver, yeah. we have a cloud of smog here that we need to deal with, but. 
some of these things that were made in the 60s and 70s and 80s have passed their effectiveness. And just like with everything else, when it comes to legislation and all that, it has to change. Go ahead, Jason. You have these people that have been running it that are literally I actually weekend at Bernie's. Like, we don't know if they're even actually alive still or cog- <laughs> like cognitively <laughs> functional. So true. Uh, but story. unless we have some major breakthroughs in like longevity technology, there's going to be a reset in that system and there's going to have to be a big catch up. And I, so I just think in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be a lot of shifting of the ground. I think there's going to be a lot of questions after our support. I can support political issues and educate members about them, but I can't support actual candidates. So that's why we we try to be careful about that as a 501c3. Ah, we need see, people to understand that kind of question before we got started. That would have helped. Not. Oh, it's okay. I mean, I'll talk about the political system, but I don't, I mean, who people yeah. choose to support politically, that's your choice. Yeah, fair enough. yeah, Don't try to get in the middle of that, but we do want you to know who's doing things that are going to impact the things we care about. That, and that's important. Yeah. And that's freedom of speech. Should we get to do that? Um, but yeah, so I just think the whole system is going to change. And that's why I like Blue Ribbon Coalition and where we are. We, this is a constituency that has millions and millions of people doing it from parrot flyers to cliff jumpers to off-roaders to camper. And and that has become something really important and meaningful in our culture. Um, it's where that frontier spirit of being an American is kind of being expressed. Uh, in Canada, they're prescribing outdoor recreation as a form of mental health therapy. I mean, we sit here addicted to screens and artificial worlds in our whole lives and somehow our the importance of a natural encounter with the real world, the value of that kind of juxtaposes, co- correlates almost directly with how much of our lives we're actually transacting through artificial things. And so it's and so I think there's a reason that you're seeing this explode. And sure, COVID helped, but I mean that was already, it was already growing before that. Yeah. And so for us to not be looking at that, this moment in time and this being a response to some really big cultural technological shifts that are happening and then like flagellating ourselves into saying, no, we shouldn't be able to go do this. We're going to go crazy yeah. as a people. Like we, and so it's time to probably become a little more tolerant of why everybody's out there wanting to do these things with the understanding that the landscape's going to be just fine. Planet Earth is going to be fine. With, with or without us, it's been around for a billion years, and we might not make it. <laughs> the other thing, uh, Carlin on the planet will keep going several times. It adapt just yep. like else does. So you introduce anything else to it, and it's going to adapt to it, and it's going to keep going. So that's just I'm not a scientist, and you know what? I like to be the realist on this whole podcast, and. You guys say really big words, and I like to try to keep it into simple terms. Like, I know that there's Emmys or LSs, there's 22RE, so I'm going to try to take everything in big words you guys said, and I'm going to try to translate it to the best I can understand, which is, yeah, we all have our part in this, and we need to fight. That's the the best summation of it, if I'm being honest. All right. Well, I feel like we've uh, taken up enough of your time, Ben. So Thanks for having me. This was a fun show, and... I would love I'm to have you on again on in the anytime. future, and uh, maybe when your schedule gets a little a, bit freer. There will be more to talk about in the future. Unfortunately, I'm worried. I, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, I'm I'm a realist when it comes to that kind of stuff, so I know this isn't the end of it. So anytime you want to come on, you let me know. We'll yeah, go, we'll go around the table here real quick, and then uh, I'll ask for some final thoughts, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Pope and Randy, I'm going to give you guys the last, because you don't have video. 
Oh, go okay. for it. Any last thoughts? Oh yeah. I, I, we haven't said much, but I really feel like, um, I'm, I'm just really glad that we got to be here and listen to this because I, I'm constantly trying to learn as much as I can about this. And I think that it's really awesome that you're just, I, I just think it's really cool that you're out there really doing the good work that I think a lot of us don't know exactly how to do. And I think that giving us the information is really awesome. So I just want to say thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. And, and Ben, if there's something that uh, we can do as influencers to help you out or anything like that, reach out to us or I can reach out to you on Instagram or you can get my contact info from uh, JD. Uh, we'd love to work with you and help you out any way we can. Yeah. And we would like that offer. What we're selling all influencers right now is messages on Instagram or wherever you are. And I'm trying to, it's been a lot, but we eventually want to have a kind of a really good network of people that want to be part of that. And our hope is that eventually we kind of have a regularly scheduled call where influencers are invited and we just update you on everything that's going on. That'd be awesome. And so you're bought into it, you're, you're educated. And then when you see us talking about it on social media, we kind of know who we can invite to be collaborators and who will help us share stuff and amplify it. Um, so we appreciate that offer. And we, and anyone else listening, we, we think that's a critically important part of this, probably as important as even the fundraising or anything else is we have to start really influencing and shaping the narrative of these things. And there's never been a better time to do it. We have of all the constituencies out there, we have a great influencer culture and, and it'll like, I've, it's been interesting to watch a lot of these accounts that are sharing our stuff and having them talk about our fight becoming their most viral posts, because I've heard over and over and over again, Oh, land use isn't sexy. Nobody likes talking about land use and no, <laughs> everybody just wants to talk about wheels and winches and lights and seat covers and, and engine upgrades and all the stuff. I'm like, yeah, that stuff's all cool. It, but that's, that's what kind we're trying of to change here in the yeah. last four weeks. And it's, and this message is important and it is, and it sells. And if you want to, if you're not influencing this, you're not influencing anything. Yeah. Hey. And so let us help you do that. Oh, we we're totally into, we love the idea. We've been, I mean, we've been huge supporters of blue ribbon for quite a long time. So it, however we can do to help is great. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Jason, yeah, we love yes. amplifying your content, and I think your audio is viral right now. Isn't is that when you with it's uh, talking about the trails close because it's named after you yeah, for the sure? The trails off road post, <laughs> yeah. I think, <laughs> ten or yeah. ten or eleven thousand. Last time I looked, yeah. Oh, I've got one queued up waiting to post for the for like next week yeah. to with there's that audio some, already. <laughs> there's probably some audios from this that we could, and that's what I need help oh, with. I, I will pull time. from this as anywhere I can. Yep. Yeah, there yep. will be, and I've and that's the thing that's hard with me is like I can you get me fired up about this stuff. And then there's a lot of good content. I just don't have time to then just go digest it all. And <laughs> that's what we're here for. Repackage that's, it again. That's so if that's yeah. what the influencers could do. There's yeah. a lot of pots of gold at the end of that rainbow of just getting this message out there. And I'm spending the time with me and my team to really dive in and understand these plans and go out to these areas. so I can give you good fact-based information about what's going on. Uh, but at some point I, it's only going to go so far without the help of a lot of other people. So, yeah. Jason? Well, I just like to echo the same thing that uh, Pope and Randy said. And uh, yeah, Ben, I really appreciate everything you do. I wish I had the brain power you do. I, super jealous. I, I would love to be next to you the entire time um, fighting this good fight. And uh, yeah, if it wasn't for 
what we do in this community. I would have never been able to meet JD, never been able to meet Pope, Randy, um, so many other people out there. And uh, yeah, I don't know what my life would be like if I wasn't able to do that. And yeah, that would suck. So I, I'm I'm all in, and I hope anybody that's listening, they get on this too, and they help out in every way. And I also think that at the end of each one of these podcasts, we should do a shot of Jaeger. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't have a shot of Jaeger. Um, we just need to make sure we have it around somewhere. I, for that. I, I will but make we, sure that I there is a that, shot. I, agree. I don't think I can do Jaeger. Tequila, is that all right? That's fine. That's okay. Tequila, okay. yeah. Give me one second, and I will help you out. One second, yeah. one second, one second. Oh, boy. Here we go. Remote. <laughs> Remote. Is there a cat? That is. Sorry. We no, it's okay. That's hilarious. I, I'm used to that noise at my house. <laughs> you should You should try parrots. Oh, come on, I don't have though. the camera That's on. The I was trying to show you guys, but I was this. like, oh, the camera's. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I had to grab Lily because I can't do all this myself, but I brought some tequila for you. Just oh, since thank we you, sir. For this will help you. It's going to have to be symbolic. Well. I didn't have that much time, so I didn't get any cups. But I think this should be a tradition. So yeah. All right. <laughs> here's to one great podcast after another and to many more. Oh, cheers. 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 This is water. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's it. Ben, uh, did you have any final thoughts? Uh, I talked a lot, so I'm probably good, except for just defend your ground. Um, that's been our slogan for this last year. And we've had some people get kind of offended by it. They're like, and I don't know why. I don't know if because they, it, we've had people push back. It could be tied into like the stand your ground laws or something. I don't know. But I, I think it means a lot. We are on defense. We are having to defend. If you're watching Moab and you don't see that we have to defend this, then you're missing a lot of what's going on. It is a defensive move and we need to do that well, but then, and then eventually shift to where we're redefining the system in our favor and getting the rights and the things that we need. And then the word your, it is yours. It's public land and it belongs to you. I think people are like, cause that's what people also say to me. Well, it's not yours. I'm like, well, it is mine. I'm an American citizen. It is mine. It's public mm-hmm. land and it's there for all of us to enjoy. And there are places out there that are especially mine uh, where I've gone and had my own, reasons for being there and had great times and experiences and memories and times I spent with my kids, my wife, and the people who I value. And those are mine. And that is part of who I am to go out and have those experiences. So it is yours and you need to own that and recognize that. And, and then the ground, it's like, I like pointing out that it's your ground and that's what makes it so special. You get out in these places in the public land, in the American West, and there are so many spectacular places. That's why people are so fired up about Moab is you get to go stand on the edge of this thousand foot cliff and have this open expansive view that goes on forever. And it's like this place you've never been in your life. Yep. And you got to just go spend as much time as you feel like you need out there and enjoy it. It is the ground that makes it so valuable. And every, and I've gone out in with a lot of people. I go out with meeting with all our groups and members and clubs, and I go out on the rides and all these different areas. And you go out with some people and it's like, Everyone has their own special place. And it's like, the, and some of the places I go, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't do it for me, but I'm never going to tell that to them. But I'm so glad mm-hmm. it's, it's like so important to them. Right. It's not my place, but it's theirs and they need to fight for it. And I have my own places. And so recognizing it's important to someone. And so that's why I want to leave people with it. I do want you to defend your ground. And it's not as a provocative statement as it is a meaningful one. Like you need to find your place in this fight and 
be part of it. All right. Lily, you came back. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Oh, oh muted. she's muted. There you go. Oh, sorry. Uh, I mean, you guys were certainly not staying at all to uh, try to, you know, take advantage, uh, especially the people they saw there on Instagram. They have uh, followers uh, and even the people that have influence in their followers, um, like try to, you know, uh, how you say, like, uh, spread the word. Yeah. Spread the word. And I like uh, um, help them to feel motivated to go and take action and do something because, um, and maybe I'm one of those people, me, for example, I, uh, you know, I feel like maybe, you know, I can't really do much. I, um, you know, or maybe if I do say something like I don't have that much influence on my followers, that's how I feel. But you say before, it doesn't really matter how many followers you have. Uh, everything matters. Uh, and it's just like about like ha- having the whole community and we do have a really a strong community. The the uh, keeping community is really big, and we hold a lot of. Uh, if we put our effort together, we have a lot of power. So awesome. Okay, um, then I'll close it out. Uh, as we wrap up this discussion, let's talk about the road ahead. Quite literally, as someone who lives and breathes off roading, trail conservation, and sustainable land use. I cannot emphasize enough how crucial it is to stand united in our efforts as a motorized community. For far too long, we've been pitted against each other, and it's time to rethink some of the narratives we've been told and even sometimes repeat. The Blue Ribbon Coalition is doing exceptional work to protect and enhance our access to public lands, but they can't do it alone. That's where you come in. Yes, the individual trailblazers, the weekend warriors, the Instagrammers, and frankly, anybody who values our public lands. So here's your final call to action for everybody listening today. In my brave heart, freedom tone, join the Blue Ribbon Coalition. Follow them on social media, share their posts, be vocal about what matters, and if you can, contribute financially. We have been out-organized and outspent so far, so even the smallest of donations goes a long way to help preserve the trails and public lands that we all hold dear. From ongoing legal battles to preservation and access in new areas, BRC is always pushing forward. They're in the trenches working hard for each of us. So let's make sure we're doing our part to support them. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time at the trailhead. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to you guys. Thanks again. Thanks, Ben. Really appreciate it, man. You have a great night. Great meeting you, Ben. Hope to see you on the trails. Yeah, next time you come to Sand Hollow. Definitely. definitely. I might be there for Winter Jamboree if I get my Jeep back. We'll see you. yeah, Fingers I crossed, usually guys. make it to Winter Jamboree, so uh-huh. make it down there. Yeah. All right. Well, here's hoping. Fingers crossed. If I got my Jeep, I'll be there. Okay. All right, guys. Sounds good. All right. We'll Thanks see you so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye, guys. Hey, Trailheads. It's JD here again. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Trailhead. We love bringing you this content, and if you love listening to it, there are a couple of ways you can support us to keep the adventure going. First off, spread the word. If you could take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else it is you're listening, it makes a huge difference for us. And hey, give us a shout out on your socials, tag us, and we'll make sure to return the love. Next, If you head on over to our Buzzsprout website, you'll find links at thetrailheadnetwork.com. There's an option to send us a few bucks. 
Now, don't worry, this isn't for new mods or anything. We're putting every dollar back into making the show as beastie as possible. That includes everything from our hosting services and equipment to our goals to bring you special episodes and content you won't find anywhere else. And speaking of exclusive content, keep an eye out for our upcoming Patreon page or something very similar. We've got some ideas to send you all some great stuff as part of some subscription. Every bit helps, and we appreciate your support more than we can say. Now, let's get back to the trails. 